0: Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville Telephone Company, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922. Offering bundled packages, high-speed internet, and wireless phones. Smithville Telephone, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.
1: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of The Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to talk about jails, prisons, and corrections in general. Uh, with us in the studio, our two guests, Monroe County Sheriff Jim Kennedy is here, and Monroe Circuit Court Judge Ken Todd, Ken Todd is here <laughs> with us. Excuse me, Ken. Too many syllables. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. If you would like to join us on the program, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can join us uh, on the website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can uh, follow us on Twitter, follow at noon edition. So welcome to everybody. Jim, welcome back. Thank you. Nice to have you back. And Ken, first time, first time uh, guest, long time listener, right? No, that's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks for being here. We have lots of, lots of area we can cover um, about – Corrections. I, I think the, uh, the impetus for this program today was the Pew report and we've talked about it a little bit um, already before the program. And, and it talks about um, how Indiana stacks up to, uh, compared to other states in terms of numbers of people, incarcerated number of people who are under uh, supervision, how the states differ in those areas. And it, uh, it has some interesting things to say about Indiana. Ken, you want to talk about that?
2: Well, the um, topic that we were discussing uh, before we began uh, had to do with uh, Indiana's rankings in comparison to other states. Um, You, if I may
0: point out, had made a comment
2: about uh, Indiana being uh, high on the list in terms of the number of people incarcerated and I've heard some other people who interpreted the report in that fashion and that's not quite accurate actually. Um, With respect to uh, the number of people incarcerated, Indiana ranks 30th out of the 51 jurisdictions that they had listed in the study, which includes obviously each of the states but plus the District of Columbia. Uh, But Indiana ranks eighth or ninth in terms of the number of people on parole or probation or under community – what they call community supervision. Um, I think it's ninth uh, with respect to probation and parole and then overall uh, we're eighth or it could be vice versa. I don't recall off the top of my head. Uh, But in any event, I was saying that it's a a somewhat different flavor from um, the conclusion that some have perhaps uh, come to and really is a positive for Indiana because the thrust of the Pew report is that there are – Uh, people incarcerated um, who can be supervised in a more minimal setting um, just as effectively but saving taxpayers money and with a more productive result. So uh, it seems to me that the Pew report uh, reflects favorably on Indiana in that respect. This is a a huge issue or a huge uh, topic to get your
1: arms around. I think you've you've pointed out some interesting interesting ways to look at it. Uh, The fact – Uh, In the study, uh, the fact about budgeting in the study is that Indiana spends more than five percent of the state's total budget on all these areas, uh, on prisons, jails, uh, probation, all these areas of keeping people under supervision, Um, and that's I think six hundred and sixty-nine million dollars. So that's uh, according to the information that I've gleaned from the, the summary. So it's a it is a huge deal on how to spend those dollars most effectively to. Take care of people is is one key thing. I know, Sheriff Jim Kennedy, you're uh, you have a, a budget to deal with the jail, and you know how how expensive it is to keep people in jail.
3: It's uh, takes up about fifty one percent of my total budget, in fact, and that's just the budgeted figure. And that number normally rises uh, because we can't predict medical costs, and uh, so far this year they're, they've been running quite high. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't reflect a lot of uh, population situations it can rise and fall, and uh, we can't predict you know a steady rise or a steady fall It's up and down, up and down, sometimes it stays somewhat the same, but uh, it's very difficult to figure out why. Mm-hmm.
1: So as, uh, as Judge Todd was talking about before, I mean there's a different – you point out the differences between keeping people in jail or prison, incarcerated versus a lot of community corrections things. And as, as a judge, you have to deal with uh, you know, determining who gets to go where. Um, how, you know, how difficult is that to do? How do, how, do you have a philosophy when people come before you about where they're going to go?
2: I like think the uh, prevailing philosophy among uh, Monroe County judges and people involved in corrections here is um, – uh, could be stated by saying that public safety is always our uh, primary uh, concern and the primary factor that you consider. Uh, then uh, after that, you try to uh, select the uh, most efficient uh, and effective means of disposing of the case that you can. Um, uh, we uh, for years have uh, attempted to dispose of cases by selecting the least restrictive uh, disposition of the case and um, um, the one that uh, produces the best results now we've be, we've certainly undertaken over the last uh, ten or fifteen years to be uh, more um, Intentional and and uh, about that, and what I mean by that uh, is um, developing and relying upon evidence-based practices, which is a topic that's uh, discussed at some length in the Pew report. Uh, relying on scientific data to uh, demonstrate. Uh, what dispositions may be most effective for certain types of offenders and implementing programs that uh, you can prove are effective in um, achieving the end result, which is preventing someone's return from the system after you've taken care of the primary uh, uh, consideration of public safety if that, in fact, is an issue in the case. and There are lots of cases where, of course, it's not. But uh, in any event, uh, that's been our guiding philosophy uh, for as long as I've been on the bench and – one that I think we continue to pursue and try to be more effective at.
1: Well, I know that you're very uh, interested and have been talking for a couple years at least, I think, about evidence, uh, the evidence-based evidence practices uh, being used in the court system. Can you sort of break that down for us? Give us maybe a specific example of, of how that's used, what kind of evidence would lead you to
2: a conclusion? Sure. <clears throat> um, it's actually been somewhat longer than that. We got interested in this in the Uh, probably the early 90s uh, or mid 90s uh, and then late in – well, it was in 1998 perhaps that uh, drug court became uh, a program that we were extremely interested in uh, and became interested because of literature that demonstrated that it was very effective in uh, reducing recidivism, very cost effective uh, and it was a, a totally different approach. Uh, to dealing with offenders than what you see in the traditional um, system. So we spent uh, about a year and a half, and when I say we, uh, it was uh, the prosecuting attorney, uh, representative from the public defender's office, representative from the mental health community, uh, probation officer, and myself uh, traveling around to see other courts in operation and going to conferences to learn how to implement a court like that and then we initiated it uh, in November of 1999. That's when we took in our first uh, participant. So um, in about six months or so, we'll be uh, celebrating the 10th anniversary of that, but um, it would take some time to explain exactly how it functions, but uh, there have been uh, at least two uh, independent studies uh, of the Monroe County Drug Court uh, that have been completed since uh, we began operation. Uh, the most recent of which was in 2006 by NPC Research of Portland, Oregon. It was a study funded by the Indiana Supreme Court uh, and concluded that um, the drug court reduces recidivism by 67 percent for participants and uh, reduces future criminal justice costs by 2,000 percent. So uh, using that as an example, um, um, you can see that it relies on actual studies and actual empirical data to determine whether the program's effective and whether it's cost-effective. And those are the kinds of programs that we're attempting to focus on and implement more and more.
1: I don't mean to offend our listeners by defining recidivism, but that basically means people don't come back into the system. Don't commit. commit
2: another criminal offense.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: right? Jim, that's, that's such a huge topic for you in the jail. I know you've got repeat visitors, uh, a very high percentage. Share those numbers. It's so interesting.
3: Certainly. The last time we did a snapshot... Uh, a year and a half, two years ago and I have no reason to believe that it varies greatly from the percentages that we had at that point. We had 255 persons that we reviewed extensively here for local charges only. Uh, Only four people out of 255 had not been in my facility before and I believe the number was at least, the average was four times. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've been sheriff now for 27 months and I'm getting to know people by a first name basis Mm -hmm. unfortunately. We have a lot of people in there as Judge Todd has pointed out. The the drug court helps a lot of the people with addictive behaviors and we certainly have a number of them whether it be alcohol or other substances. Uh, And they're in there though not just because they have that uh, problem but they're in there because they've committed crimes Uh, and that may be an attendant circumstance but uh, they're in there because they've committed other crimes as well.
1: All right. Our phone number is today, 855-0811, 877-285-9348. And you can join us at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us at Noon Edition on Twitter. So we're uh, – Judge, I, I went to I think two graduations of drug court, not as a participant but as an observer <laughs> and was uh, you know very impressed with the way that court – ran and sort of the – I guess what I would call maybe a camaraderie in the room. People seem to – there seem to be almost a support network for the people who were there. Um, how how did that sort of come about or how, how does that – how what part does that play in the people being able to get through their drug issues?
2: Well, it's, it's a part of the underlying philosophy of drug court uh, and it does play a very important role. Um, <clears throat> in the effectiveness of that program. Um, it's a, a much more informal setting, as you observed. Uh, when I was presiding over the court, uh, I didn't wear a robe. Um, you talk to each of the uh, participants individually and review their performance for the last week. It's a very closely supervised and monitored program. Uh, when people come uh, into the program, they are Uh, meeting with caseworkers on um, certainly a weekly basis and at the outset on a daily basis. They come to the community corrections program on a daily basis for uh, alcohol testing and uh, drug testing to ensure that they're not using. Um, They're involved in treatment, um, supervised in a a number of um, different ways and then we review the team that uh, presides over and it really is a team of people that preside over drug court. Uh, reviews the uh, performance of each of the participants on a weekly basis and then the judge has an opportunity to discuss personally with each participant when they come in uh, that week uh, how their week has gone and if they have done well, you uh, attempt to recognize that and to encourage them by uh, positive feedback, positive reinforcement, uh, which can be anything from just praise to applause of the group to – Uh, moving them to a less restrictive stage of the program. Uh, There are a a variety of different ways that you utilize uh, to do that. And on the other hand, uh, if they have uh, not been in compliance with the conditions of the program, then there's some immediate consequence uh, for that failure. But it doesn't terminate them. You continue to work with them. So it's a a combination of positive and negative feedback. Um, And if I, I know that I'm sort of going on at length here but I think it's important for people to understand uh, that uh, a lot of folks that we're dealing with in this setting uh, have are not um, very accomplishment oriented in their lives and a lot of them may have been told that uh, they can't do anything of a positive nature. They don't have uh, much in the way of self confidence or belief in themselves. So uh, recognizing uh, accomplishments that they've made in terms of uh, their treatment and um, Giving them some positive feedback for that is really one of the most effective parts of the program.
1: I think this is uh, really relevant to the discussion today because it, it represents the the range of people who are under supervision in some way. One of the things that I recall very clearly uh, two things I recall very clearly about sitting through um, that program watching watching you at work uh, was one of the graduates whose families family was there and saw this person actually complete the program, accomplish something. And the other was you'd mentioned consequences for people that don't do what they were supposed to do. I remember a young man who came in to your court that morning and he had – I don't know what he had done exactly but he hadn't followed the rules of the program and he went immediately to the care of uh, – of Jim's predecessor as the sheriff, and right back into the jail, uh, protesting that, oh no, no, please, nope, you didn't do that right, and you're going back in. But so that's a range of people under supervision, from people who are in jail to people who are reporting, you know, to that drug court and various other programs within the system.
2: Well, the immediate consequence that you mentioned, and by the way, there uh, it's not just jail; it's a consequence for failing to comply with the conditions of the program. We have a whole range of. Uh, consequences and two of the things that the Pew report uh, report, uh, emphasizes is that you have to have a a broad range of um, uh, responses to human conduct and a a broad range of consequences Uh, and uh, secondly, that consequences are most effective if they're quick and they're certain. Mm -hmm. So the length of the response is not nearly as effective as dealing with something immediately.
1: Mm All right. 855-0811 in Bloomington. If you're outside of the Bloomington area and want to talk about uh, corrections issues, you can call us at 877-285-9348. And you can also email us and join the discussion on wfiu.org slash noon edition and follow us on Twitter. At noon edition,
0: I uh, recently had the opportunity to tour the jail, um, Sheriff Kennedy, and it's um, and I do that every year with my class. So I have been able to see the changes over the last few years, and I want to compliment you. Um, it looks better than I've ever seen it look. Smells better. The whole it's just a more pleasant place to be. <laughs> Sounds like a strange thing to say, but it's true. So. Um, Can you talk about some of the initiatives you've got going on inside the jail? I mean it's just – it feels and looks and, as I said, even smells like a different place. And and so obviously you've been very busy.
3: Well, thank you on behalf of the staff. I thank you as well. They worked very hard. We also have programs but one of the biggest problems we have uh, is that the average inmates in there for 72 days. We can't do much behavioral change there but we can at least make the attempts. We have religious programming of various types. We have the GED program, and we get people through it. Uh, And that's a contract with the Monroe County School System. We also have a library program. A librarian comes from the local library once a week. Uh, Inmates are allowed to check out books, just as anybody would in any library. Uh, We have the New Leaf, New Life program, which are citizen volunteers that uh, they're attempting uh, to reduce recidivism. Uh, we don't have much evidence-based practice yet on that program. Uh, and Judge Todd and I both uh, have, we we have some issues with that program but these are citizens who care and they're trying and that's an important fact. One of the big problems we have though is we have no real space for them or to produ- do these programs. We have one small room it's used essentially 12 hours out of the day and almost an entire weekend Visitation is another problem. I have space for six and it takes, we're a vertical establishment. It takes 20 minutes to move them up and down and uh, we'll have families out there at one o'clock in the morning trying to visit, but we can't do it any faster. Mm. And We've done some extensive remodeling, but I don't know what else I can do now with that building because I have certain things that I have to meet according to state standards like uh, inmates have to be exposed to natural light. Well, the first floor of that building is underground, so Mm -hmm. that sort of hampers that. And we've done everything we can with the fourth and fifth floor, which is the majority of the jail. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I know, uh, Jim, you've invited me to come down and and tour. and Our editorial board, will do that soon. I was last uh, a visitor uh, in the jail about – it's probably been 12 to 14 months ago uh, with – Wayne Martin and mm-hmm. his his bingo program.
3: Right. Wayne which, is a well established figure and we like to have Wayne in. He's he's tremendous.
1: He invited me to come along and it's it is interesting. As Mary Catherine said, you know, it's very interesting to be able to see what, you know, we all write about in the mm-hmm. newspaper and what people discuss, because you know, once you go in there and look around and see, you know, the people who are in there and realize these are you know, some of them are dangerous. Some of them are probably not so dangerous, but they're all they're all there. The conditions are, as we talked about earlier, they're crowded in mm-hmm. there. In um, the cell block, the, the people don't have a whole lot to do. Mm-hmm. You know, when bingo time comes, people get really excited about it. I mean, it's something different in their day from other things going on, and so you know, it, it, it's a challenge that you have.
3: It, that's correct. They really do.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like as it? Country, or even as a community, we've ever really decided if if we're putting incarcerating people in an effort to punish or to rehabilitate?
3: Well, you know, I, I'd like to say or
0: warehouse. Yeah,
3: warehousing. Uh, I'd like to say, you know, it would be wonderful if we were actually rehabilitating, but that's such a small percentage. Uh, approximately one third of my population are people who have had a problem, they're on probation and can't meet the terms. And they are returned to my facility. About one-third are in there on a pretrial situation and another third are essentially serving time. And that's a rough percentage, but it's close. Uh, it's, and as Judge Todd has pointed out, and I, it's absolutely true, a lot of people, uh, probation for whatever length of time, they just cannot do it. Uh, for a, uh, any number of reasons, and there has to be a consequence for that failure to do to be uh, essentially not in the facility, and yet they just uh, are determined apparently to come back i don 't know whether they like my food or what it <laughs> is, but uh, it, for what you know and i 'm obviously being facetious, but uh, it 's a shame that they can 't profit from the court 's attempts to do things uh, to put them in a situation where they are not incarcerated.
2: Well, you, go ahead. Jim. If I may address For that sure. question, you, you questioned whether uh, there had been a discussion either nationally or statewide no, or in this community. a discussion,
0: but it seems like as a, a nation Oops. and a community, we really haven't come to a decision on that.
2: Well, I, well and that's what I wanted to address. Okay. I, it depends on uh, where you raise that question. Uh, and one community will differ substantially from another Uh, There are some counties uh, who are close to Monroe that have a substantially different view of uh, correction and what they're trying to accomplish and and the way they're going about that than we do. Um, I've been on the – I'm in my 31st year on the bench now and as long as I've been on the bench, uh, I think there has been uh, a predominant philosophy that has guided us and that's uh, the one that I uh, outlined for Bob. I think um, Monroe County is – at least within the time that I've been a part of the system, has never been – um, uh, and adherent to the warehousing uh, or nail them and jail them philosophy uh, but has uh, taken a different approach um, where we're, we're trying to uh, find alternatives to jail and to deal with people uh, as best we can in a, a more positive way. So um, the reason I think that it's difficult to come to some broader uh, determination of your philosophy, say, uh, across the state is because you have Different areas of philosophy, and it's more um, more difficult to bring those to some central or agreed spot. Mm-hmm. So, um, makes it more difficult on a broader range. But I think Monroe County's had a pretty well defined philosophy for a number of years. All right. I hope we get some people to join us on the
1: program the second half. Usually when uh, there's a discussion of, of the jail or <coughs> the court system, a lot of people have opinions. So hopefully a few of them will join us in the second half of the program. Again, our phone number is 855-0811, 285 You can find us on the web, wfiu.org slash or on Twitter at Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
4: You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game musical mini-quiz, as well as movie, play, and opera reviews. Find out more by going to our website, WFIU.org. On Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 8.33 a.m. and 5.45 p.m. every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to catch that day's feature. If you miss one, that's okay. They're archived on our website, WFIU.org, and the best features from each week can be heard Saturday mornings at 7.45.
1: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And we have two guests with us today, Monroe County Sheriff Jim Kennedy and Monroe Circuit Court Judge Ken Todd. If you'd like to join us on the program, please call us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can find us on the web, wfiu.org slash And we're on Twitter. Just follow us at Noon Edition. All right. Now you guys are going to have to put those headphones on because we have a caller. So Steve is on the line. Steve? Hello. Hello, Steve. Go ahead.
5: Yes. I just had a comment about the drug court that was being discussed earlier. I'm a volunteer in a faith-based character building program up at Plainfield Correctional, and I can't tell you how many men have said to me they have wished that someone would have gotten in their face and caused them to be accountable and them with things that they're doing or not doing so... Just a comment that I guess I have to make is that any kind of character building, especially when it comes to even Christianity, is confrontive. And I agree with that. The way to change these people from their addictions is to confront them and keep them accountable, so to speak.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Steve, you're talking about the, what, what Judge said about um, that immediate feedback to whether they're doing well or doing poorly. Right. Yeah. OK. All right. Well, thanks a lot for calling.
0: Yeah, it does seem like life skills coaching is a lot of what you do, isn't it? As far as focusing on – I'm sure you have to focus on areas beyond just their their addiction.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and we do try to make it a holistic report where you're dealing with uh, education, employment issues, uh, family relational issues, Um uh, yes, a broad range of things because it is uh, uh, a part of the whole picture. And if you just try to address one aspect of it without dealing with others, uh, you're not going to be as productive.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: All right, we have another call, and it's uh, Bob this time. Bob, go ahead.
5: Okay, I have a, a question for the judge here. I know this don't pertain to anything you've been talking about this morning, but long-time listener, first-time caller. All right, Anyway. Anyway... Concerning the death penalty, uh, you know, they always say it's cheaper to keep a prisoner than to execute him. Uh, I'd like to know the judge's response to that.
2: All right. Thank you, Bob. Ken? There's much that could be said in response to that, and I'm not sure how much... um, Uh, within ethical restrictions to which I'm subject, I can comment on it. Um, It's certainly true that uh, in an effort to ensure that uh, we don't uh, impose the death penalty on somebody who uh, is in fact not guilty, uh, there are – um, appellate processes that are extremely extensive and very expensive and the process goes on for years and years and it is ex- it, it winds up being a very uh, expensive process. On the other hand, you need to understand what motivates that and that is that uh, the death penalty is uh, an irrevocable consequence and nobody ever wants to be wrong about that. So. Uh, that's why that uh, process has developed, and um, you know it, there may there probably are instances where uh, by the time you get to the end of the road on that, um, it would have been more cost efficient to have had somebody incarcerated and not gone through the process. That's that's probably true, but I don't mean that in any way to comment on. I, I don't think I can comment on um, that beyond what I've said yeah. about it. It's uh, the law of the state and.
1: Yeah, let me – the death penalty is a a topic we could do an entire show on with a variety of people. Let me just ask you a very specific question about the law. There are certain um, elements of a crime that are necessary for a – Prosecutor to to seek the death penalty. Yes, correct. What are those elements?
2: Oh, gee, Bob. <laughs> oh, sorry. There, I mean, there are I, like I can't five. Recite them all, but, but there's there are five Lying like in wait, murder for hire, um. murder of a police, killing a police officer, a uh, yes. law enforcement officer. I can't, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't yes. recite all of them off the That's top okay. of my head.
1: But a lot, but a lot of, uh, I think there is some misconception sometimes that that you know, there could be a a horrible crime that occurs and the death penalty is not even on the table because. State law doesn't allow it to be on the table. So you know, there are very specific cases that might come before you that would be a death penalty case. I just want to clarify that.
2: Yes, um, and I mentioned before how long I've been on the bench. during that period of time, we have not had a capital case, and um, I can't say that I regret yeah. <laughs> not having that had would, to deal with it. It'd
1: be very stressful, I'm sure. All right, we have a third call. Uh, Sam is on the phone, Sam. Yes, hello. Hi, Sam. Yes, go ahead. Go ahead, please.
6: Uh, I came in late on the uh, conversation today. I'm not sure if this has been covered. Uh, I've been reading a lot
3: about the uh, programs through the Humane Societies where prisoners uh, adopt and train uh, homeless dogs and cats, specifically dogs. Has uh, Monroe County Humane Society ever thought to team up with the uh, Monroe County Community Corrections and uh, institute some sort of program like that? Hi, Bob. This is Sam S., by the way.
1: Hey, Sam. Thanks for calling. No problem. All right, Sheriff.
3: Well, Well, Community Corrections is a program through probation at the courts. Uh, I have no room in the jail to do anything like that, and that comes primarily, I think, from the Maricopa County Sheriff in Arizona, who has had a fairly successful program, according to what I've read. Uh, I wish we had space, but we don't.
0: Mm -hmm. Bob, do you you and the other – or Jim, I'm sorry. (laughs) Bob, Jim. uh, Do you get – Together with other sheriffs, do you have conventions or, or meetings where you get together and compare best practices and things like that?
3: Uh, we have meetings, yes. And sometimes when you use the word or phrase "best practices," uh, I'm sometimes stumped. Uh, the practices vary in this state, and they vary in the United States to such a degree that because of laws and because of what sheriffs do, uh, you know, running the jail is a big part of the sheriff's job in this state. But if you read the newspaper, you see I sell a lot of property. We do a lot of other things, tax warrants and things like that. And uh, some sheriffs don't have any of those duties. They have very strange duties, particularly the further east you go. It changes dramatically. So it's such a a fragmented and diverse situation state to state that a lot of times – what they do in New Jersey has no a, no applicability in Indiana.
0: So, that, what a, what a sheriff's role is in in for your to use your example, New Jersey could be pretty almost completely different than what he does in Arizona. That's correct. That's very interesting. I had no idea.
1: I, I want to go back just briefly to Sam's question. I'm kind of intrigued by that because I never thought about you know programs in the jail where people where the inmates would work with uh, animals. But on the other hand, uh, one of the indicators of of violent offenders is that they abuse animals at a young age. So I would think that a program like that would have to be screened fairly carefully.
3: Uh, Yes. And you're talking about the so-called triad of fires, bedwetting and animal abuse. Uh, And that's a false indicator actually because there are some people who don't display any of those things that do commit serious crimes and some people who do display that uh, in fact, the so-called uh, – the inventor, if you will, of that program has since said that it's probably a false indicator.
1: OK. All hmm. right. Now, second time I've been wrong today. There's got to be a third <laughs> one in here somewhere. <laughs> All
3: right. We'll work on it. OK.
1: All
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: will I. All right. Our phone number is 855-0811, 877-285-9348 and wfiu.org slash noon edition. To find us on the web. Follow us at noon edition on Twitter.
0: Now, at the break, we, we were kind of joking around that both of you are, are hardly new to this area of work. You've both been in your chosen professions for, for quite some time and both had distinguished careers. But um, I can see how this would get a little frustrating um, over time. And I have to wonder um, what keeps you going and how you deal with the frustration inherent to the work that you've chosen. Would you like to start, Sheriff?
3: Okay, And it's not just frustration with my part of the job. It's sometimes frustration with the system because we're – the criminal justice system is supposed to be on the same page and in general terms, yes, we are. But there are things that face the courts uh, that I don't see and I have a different solution and the same thing with the jail and each judge is a different person as well Mm -hmm. and runs their court accordingly. So we have sometimes competing interests. Uh, we wish and we have, and actually in this county, we have a lot of good communication. We meet regularly uh, and openly, can discuss our problems. But what keeps me going is the fact that I have a, a great staff. Uh, and in general, I think we have made strides toward improvement. Uh, I may not be able to reduce crime, and if I could do that, then I would be a miracle worker. But uh, I think the way we deal with it has changed somewhat. Uh, And we've done what we can do with the physical plant and actually that may be the easiest thing to do because it's tangible. Mm -hmm. But dealing with people's behavior uh, sometimes – and I get the question quite often. You know, Why do people commit crime? And I frankly can't tell you other than in my opinion at many times it's learned behavior. I've dealt with over 40-plus years now with fathers and sons and in one unfortunate case, a grandfather to a father to a son. And you see that, and you start to think maybe it is learned behavior. Uh, there, you know, there's a lot of theories. It's biological, it's genetic type of thing. And uh, but uh, there seems to be at times it groups in. And I hate to say families because so often they're not what we would even consider a traditional family.
1: Well, one one of the frustrations for you must be the physical plant, the facility that you're oh. in and all the issues that are related to it. I mean there, there's a, a federal lawsuit against the, the yes. county for the condition of the jail or you know, how many people are in the jail and you mm-hmm. have to deal with that. You recently said that you know, work release would be leaving the jail because yeah. of wanting to devote the beds to the, the people who need the beds there. So I mean that must be you – know, just dealing with that issue of what to do about the jail must take up a lot of your time.
3: Oh, it does. Uh, this week we just concluded $6,000 in expense on replacing or welding door handles shut. Uh, the Correctional Association here in America says that a jail ages approximately four years for every chronological year. This jail opened in 1986. So now we're into our second half century by that standard at least. Uh, and there's things like that that go on literally every week that, you know, you look at it and say, oh my gosh, the, the door handles are coming off and hinges, big steel hinges. Those doors are open and shut so many times, time and time again, that uh, the wear on that physical plant is just tremendous. We have some peop- great people there, the, the, the custodial staff that work very hard to keep us operational, but it's, uh, it's a massive undertaking. And... Uh, it's so different than law enforcement work. When you know my career has been generally in that, and now I've sometimes run a hotel. It seems. Mm-hmm.
1: For those of you who don't know, Sheriff Kennedy was the chief of the Indiana University Police. He was the chief of the Bloomington Police, so he's been in law enforcement and a marshal, and a marshal and a federal marshal. So, all right, um, we we have a phone call. Gemma is on the phone. Gemma,
6: Hi, Judge Todd. Um, since you have been here. We've had a great burgeoning of crime, apparently, in this area. And actually, in all of our, and I talk about CEJ and groups like that, and all of our evidence, we have found that uh, 85% of the people that are in there are not violent in any way, and not, not even that, that they have been kept in there because they can't pay their bail due to their credit history. And uh, some of them uh, haven't even seen their their uh, public defender. And that actually, when I was in there, uh, you weren't able to ask for a chaplain. There were no programs, as you described. Maybe that's what's supposed to be in there. But there were no programs like that. And what I really want to see is some due process formed. I don't want to have you be asking these poor people to plea bargain when they don't know what that means. When they are addicts, they can't really agree to a plea bargain. When they're sick and tired of it, when they don't understand what the... Cases and there's no public defender who will say anything but say, "I refuse," which the, he said to me. I refuse to discredit the police, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bring in that evidence. He, Michael Hunt, refused to get any investigation going for six months. Now I, these are the problems, and and these are what the CATS program was about. This is what DMC is about. This is what CEJ is about. This is what the Navi people are saying. I I expect from the governor to see an investigation. So I'd like to hear some comments regarding this. I know you're going to give excuses, but there you go. Thank you. All
1: right, Gemma. Thanks a lot for the call. Sheriff?
3: Well, uh, what's her concerns with the uh, public defender's office are best addressed by somebody who deals with that. Uh, the programs in the jail that she say don't exist, uh, she may not have been eligible for them by her own conduct within the facility, but the, the programs do exist and they're taken advantage of by a great number of the people in there. Uh, due process and so forth, uh, the, arresting, the arresting agency I'm sure follows due process as do the courts, the prosecutor and so forth. Uh, uh, frankly, um, we have people who have been through the system often feel that they've been arrested wrongly. And that's why we have courts. Mm-hmm. And uh, the evidence is produced. It's adjudicated. And uh, sometimes their version is uh, controverted by the evidence.
1: Well, I think, uh, Jim, I appreciate the call. And you know, she clearly has some issues with – she feels she has some issues with the way that she was treated in the system, whether it was with the Public defender's office or whatever, but we can't really uh, deal with those specifics too Bob, well. On the well video. Sh- two, two or one. three
2: things I would comment on. Yes, <clears throat> um, according to the June seventh, two thousand and seven jail profile we did, which is consistent with uh, information from a study in nineteen ninety two. Um, Thirty five to forty percent of uh, the people in jail are there with. Uh, either current charges uh, that could be characterized as violent or with some um, past conviction that can be characterized as violent. There's no one held in jail because of their inability to pay financial obligations. Uh, Someone could be arrested for a failure to appear and be there for one day before they're released, but nobody's held in jail because of financial uh, and inability to pay for financial obligations. Uh, and it's not accurate that people are held there without knowing what they're charged with. Uh, people are brought to jail within uh, 72 hours at the outside if you allow for weekends. Um, and uh, within – our goal is to get them within 24 hours um, allowing for the time to process paperwork. So there was a lot in that comment that could be addressed but there were a number of inaccuracies about uh I think her comment w-
0: about the uh, financial situation was more that they couldn't – Get bail because of their credit history. Not that they were in. Credit history
2: has nothing to do with the ability to post bail. Uh, And there are people who uh, are there uh, where the judge may have set bail in a sum that's intended to keep them there. Um, Jim mentioned uh, the number of um, past convictions. Uh, I've got a slightly different number than those that he uh, made reference to, but in the June seventh, two thousand seven study. Uh, There were 251 inmates of the jail. Um, There were – the average number of prior convictions was five, two felonies and three misdemeanors. Um, I don't have right before me the percentage of people who had violated probation but it's in the range of 85 percent. So you have people where uh, you're attempting to uh, serve three purposes. One, uh, to ensure um, that um, uh, someone uh, is – uh, will appear in court and will comply with uh, any obligations of their release. Most of these people have a, a track record that belies any trust in that and that ties into public safety um, and those people who are held on probation violations are there either because they've committed a new criminal offense uh, or because they um, quit showing up so that they could be supervised. So. Uh, a lot of people are there with the intent that they not be able to be released on jail, or they may not with regard to probation and parole violations. they may not be eligible to post bail. All right. We have a couple more phone calls, and
1: we have some email too so we need to to keep moving on these let 's see paul 's next Paul
5: Yeah, this is Paul uh, Judge Todd, this is for you. Um, I just want to first thank you very, very much um, for what you did for me. Uh, you saved my life and um i'm uh, i've been sober 3 years now and in a 12 step program um if it wasn't for you actually allowing me to face myself you know spending a little time in jail and then uh, probation and then giving me the opportunity to go to a uh, a treatment center and actually truly look at myself um i wouldn't be alive today and uh, grateful to be off the street. Uh, I'm not driving drunk anymore. And uh, I want to also congratulate uh, you and your team on the drug court team here in Monroe County. The, uh, what a wonderful opportunity it is for people to uh, get a second chance at life. And uh, I also have the opportunity in Lawrence County, where I preside, uh, that I sponsor two gentlemen in the drug court. So uh, uh,
1: congratulations. All right, Paul. Thanks a lot for that call. It's a good testimonial, Judge.
2: Uh, thank you for the call, and uh, thank you for your help to other people who need help. Uh, I might say, in regard to your earlier question, Mary Catherine, you ask uh, how you survive the frustrations, and there are many. Uh, you know, most of the people that we deal with in court are people you're seeing uh, on a repeat basis, and that can get uh, can give you a jaded outlook of mm-hmm. people because uh, you see the, the people who are failing in their efforts to overcome adversity and it's uh, these instances where you get some positive feedback that keep you going i think that's why people work in the system and what keeps them plugging away all right and the phone next on the phone is nisha nisha
6: hi um i know that there are a lot of people who have uh, been helped but in at the same point at the same in the same way they have been uh, unconstitutionally held, and and not dealt with in a constitutional manner. Um, I'm going to bring up somebody that uh, you won't be able to deny. We may do it on the radio, but Mr. Quackenbush, who used to be a a lifetime uh, policeman, was taken in when he was burnt in his bed and accused of hurting, uh, of doing it himself. And then he was held for a year and a half, ultimately without. Being able to get out or do anything without a trial. Finally, they dropped the charges and let him out.
1: Nisha. Now I'm, the
6: man has died two weeks ago. Nisha, two, I'm going to I'm gonna have to I'm going to have to
1: cut you off here because we we can't address this particular issue. I don't
6: want to address that. I just want to address for, for Judge Todd that he is not dealing with people constitutionally. He is, and I was there in the case where the last caller, I believe, was was there, and he refused to consider
1: the evidence. We, he refused completely against her will. All right.
6: So I just uh, we, thought I'd we, let you know my we, point of view. Thanks uh, for your point of view. Cool, we're going <laughs> to
1: cut you off. Thank you. Thanks. Well, you know, we get, we're going to get calls like that. We can't address the situation with Mr. Quackenbush adequately here because we don't have the facts in front of us. I mean, we have her... Her um, niches take on the facts, but we can, you know, we can. We'll look it up at the newspaper and see if there's any truth to that.
0: Okay, we've had a couple emails that have come in. Um, here's one that begins: I recently sat in on a class in the. Uh, university project at San Quentin Prison. The university project is the only one of its kind in California. The class that I sat in on was an ethics class, and the men discussed punishment. It was really remarkable. The men were very smart and well-read. The discussion was organized and intellectual. I was amazed. Are there any goals for Indiana jails slash prisons to offer college courses? Why isn't there an obvious move to do this in all prisons? Isn't education the obvious answer to several problems?
3: Well, again, we have the GED in the jail, uh, and the DOC, the Department of Corrections here in Indiana, does have uh, a college program that for various colleges participate in it, and it is offered, and uh, several people complete it successfully every year. Uh, I'm on the board of visitors at uh, Carlisle, which is a mm-hmm. state penitentiary, and they have a very active program through Indiana State University, in fact.
0: hmm Great. Okay. Here's another email that we got. It says, if I understand this correctly, there's a core of 250 people who account for a very large percentage of the use of the jail. In order to make best use of the funds that taxpayers spend on the jail, what do you think could be got done to change the behavior of those 250 in a way that would reduce the amount of time they spend in jail?
3: Well, actually, it's more than 250. Uh, it's that would be, if I could just have that many, I'd be in great shape. It's actually more than that. And what could be done with them? Uh, their average age is in the mid-twenties. Uh, I think I'm probably fifteen years too late to do much of change for them. Uh, I think it has to start a lot earlier. As I tell people constantly, by the time you're in the second, and third, fourth grade, you can look around at your classmates and I think you can identify people who are going to have problems later in life. And I think maybe if we got started with families and their children at that point, we might be able to make a dent in it. But uh, by the time I get them and for the short time that I have them, I don't think there's much that a jail can do. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. I, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier about foreclosures. You know, You're sure. selling a lot of property. Um, can you talk about the, the trend that you're seeing here? I mean sheriff sales are an indicator of the economy. And do you
0: have to go to all those closings?
3: No, I don't, fortunately. <laughs> uh, the, the trend is definitely up. And uh, it's, it's one of the burdens of this job, one that, frankly, I don't like. And in fact, uh, in December, I just stopped them because it's just too, too painful for people at that point. It's painful for my staff. But it's uh, several hundred last year and we haven't even hit the start of what the economy has done lately. I would anticipate we'd be well over 300 by the end of this year, well over that, maybe closer to 400.
0: What does that entail for you?
3: Well, it's a huge burden on the staff. It's very expensive. My The, the advertising and the paper which is required by law is uh, a cost. There are uh, huge postage costs. There are uh, a lot of other uh, dealing with the, the courts. Yeah, the courts get involved. The county clerk gets involved. Uh, banks. It, it's a very complicated process. And one that ultimately results in a family or a householder being ejected essentially out on the street.
0: Mm-hmm. And you have to do some of that I would imagine at yes, some we have Yes, we have
3: to do things in this job that are not uh, very appealing at yeah. times.
1: Yeah. All right. And uh, Judge, in uh, 30 seconds, can you give me um, uh, a take on some issue you think is, is hugely important that we haven't touched on for uh, the court system, something that you deal with on a regular basis, maybe keeps you up at night?
2: No, in uh, thirty seconds wouldn't allow me to uh, enough time to address this. But yeah. uh, I was thinking that one of the things that uh, it would be good to address here at some point, when there was a sufficient amount of time to address it, is the difficulties that we're faced with funding. I mean, there are many needs and the resources are few, and. One of the um, uh, points of the Pew report is that there, uh, the amount of money spent and uh, delegated for community corrections compared to prisons uh, is dwindles uh, and there are lots – we could address the reasons for that. This ties into Mary Catherine's earlier question about uh, whether we've had a, uh, a community discussion or a, on a broader basis a statewide discussion mm-hmm. about what our philosophy is. You get. Different people with different areas of um, jurisdiction and different interests, but there's no overriding philosophy of what we 're going to do with corrections, how we 're going to spend our money, and how it's going to be allocated so you know the the point of the Pew report is that you 'd be wiser spending more money on community corrections, but at the state level where they make decisions about that they 're interested in the prison population, so the money they 're not much interested in what happens at the local level All so right.
0: Okay. A uh, long discussion, well, I, yeah, but that's yeah, an important. Yeah, sounds issue. like another show. Hey, I want Very to quickly. mention to everybody that uh, on Tuesday, March thirty first, from five to eight at the Monroe County Convention Center, uh, we'll be holding the Get Involved Bloomington Expo. It's a project of Leadership Bloomington. So come on out. It's a free event, free right. food, uh, an opportunity to uh, get exposed to lots of volunteer opportunities, not for profits, recreational opportunities, and churches. So come all on out.
1: All right. Thanks a lot. I want to thank our guest today, Jim Kennedy, and. Kim and Todd and for uh, Mary Catherine, producer Ariana Prothero, and our two engineers today, Mike Pashkash and John Shelton. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. All right.
3: Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at
4: wfiu.org.
1: Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville Telephone Company, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922. Offering bundled packages, high-speed internet, and wireless phones. Smithville Telephone, local pride, global technology, information at smithville.net.